Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks is a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, the next of which we're hosting September 12th to the 14th here in our home city of New York. And our guest today uh, will be lucky enough to feature him as a speaker at that event. But our goal on these talks and, and the goal at our SALT conferences is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Akbar Thabani today to SALT Talks in the latest episode of our SALT Crypto Show. Uh, Akbar is the co-founder and CEO of SFOX, which is a full-service crypto prime broker, bringing together liquidity, best price execution, dark pool access, treasury management, custody, and settlement services all together in one unified trading platform and API. Prior to co-founding SFOX, Thabani served as the head of growth and business development at Airbnb, where he managed payments for over 190 countries. Uh, his experience is very diverse, however, even prior to Airbnb. Uh, he has vast experience in trading and payments uh, and developed several platform solutions for companies like ITG, Boku, and Stamps.com. He started his career as a software engineer at the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. Uh, Thabani earned his, he earned his M MBA from MIT, where he started mining Bitcoin before it was popular and we all learned about what Bitcoin was. Um, so Akbar, I provided a little bit about your bio there. Obviously, it's extremely diverse and impressive to say the least. But in your own words, could you talk about sort of your formative experiences, both educationally and in, in your professional career that led you to where you are today at SFOX? Uh, certainly. And John, first of all, thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure. Uh, you know, we love, love your show. So I really appreciate being here. Um, in terms of my personal background, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sort of a finance and the technology uh, geek. So the two verticals that you're talking about. Um, ultimately, you know, I like to look at how can technology improve our day-to-day -day lives of finance. So ITG, you know, again, was a trading technology company. Uh, Boku was a mobile payments company using the new technology, right, mobile at the time. Uh, and so it is a very much a, how can we use technology to better our financial institutions? Um, and, you know, and that brings us to Bitcoin uh, because uh, it wasn't a surprise in 2009 when I, uh, you know, when I saw this paper when I was at MIT about Bitcoin as a finance tech geek, it's just something you have to look at. Uh, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, it's interesting. We have people that come on this show that come at the crypto world and the digital asset world from a Bitcoin angle and people that come at it from a smart contracts DeFi angle. You clearly come at it from a Bitcoin angle. So what is it about Bitcoin that you found so intriguing? And what's your sort of elevator pitch for why Bitcoin is a transformative asset and technology? Yeah, I look, I'm, I'm a fan of both Bitcoin and the smart contracts. So you know, for me, uh, the question is, how can we use this technology to, to improve the lives of many people around the world? Um, and, uh, you know, I think what Bitcoin did is actually create essentially this amazing global network without anyone being at the helm of it. Right. I mean, it's, it's just out there and the world adopted it and accepted it and has developed it and will continue to develop it. Uh, and I think the same is happening with, with the smart contracts. Um, and the beauty is, if you look at a lot of the financial world, 
a lot of the contracts today, you know, you, you go buy a car. It's still done on paper. I mean, I still have a pink slip somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, and so taking that, that paper out of the transaction means cheaper transactions, more frequent transactions, and therefore more commerce. And that essentially allows us to build a better financial institutions in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And what ways do you think our current financial system? So SFOX is at the forefront of building this unified solution, um, you know, for for financial markets. You know, focused on crypto today, but there's certainly technologies that you guys use in the management of digital assets that I think will apply across traditional assets. But how do you think? Uh, in what ways our current financial market structure is flawed, and what will it look like five, ten years in the future once we've learned? a lot from the innovation that's taking place in the digital asset world. Yeah, look, I think a lot of our financial institutions today are built on the 17th century notion of having a location where you can go and clear checks, if you will, right? And that's kind of what happened in the 17th century. And people get together uh, and, and clear the checks and money between different parties. Um, and a lot of the institutions are built around that model. And I think what Bitcoin did is said, look, no, we, we're going to democratize it and actually open it up so the technology will be the one that clears a lot of these transactions. Um, as a result, you think about all the derivative transactions that happen. Look at just even you know, buying and selling of a stock market in the stocks. A lot of those essentially can be digitized. And so I think that to me is the exciting part is that as we digitize some of these, these financial um, instruments, um, a lot more can happen. Uh, I mean, let's just take, um, you know, you can look at it, you can look at almost any financial transactions, right? Buying cars, buying homes, uh, buying stocks, uh, buying options. Uh, I think a lot of these are built traditionally using the, the same settlement model of everyone getting together in one place. And, uh, and a lot of that will change with the financial institutions, with the blockchain. So SFOX is a full-service prime broker uh, offering all the services that I listed off before. Could you talk a little bit more about why professional traders and institutional investors, the benefits they enjoy from using a platform like that, that reduces fragmentation and allows them you know, to, to be able to access liquidity, avoid slippage, all those types of things? Um, look, it, it really boils down to one thing. When, when, you're, when you're in finance, it's about getting better returns. Managing and managing a risk. There's two things. Uh, you know, you want you want good returns. You want to manage your risk. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want to get your transactions done at scale. You want to make sure that you can do that anytime um, and, and and be able to do that in a in an efficient way. So that's what Fox provides, right? For a lot of these hedge funds and money managers and professional traders, um, what we do is we we help you get that better return by getting the best price across all of these exchanges around the world. And when you can get that better return, um, that's, a, that's a big win because that's the difference between a, a hedge fund that's gonna actually beat the market versus the hedge fund that's gonna have a hard time raising capital. So that's what we focus on. How can we help you get better return, but at the same time manage your risk so that you know, you're not caught kind of off guard. Could you talk a little bit about the suite of clients and and partners that you uh, work with on the platform? You know, is it um, you know only institutional investors? Is it highly retail? Is it somewhat you know sort of institutional individuals, if you will, professional traders? What's sort of the suite of clients that you guys serve? 
we work uh, primarily with professional traders, institutions, uh, money managers, hedge funds. Um, so you know, you, you can see hedge funds are two people, you know, kind of starting off with the with the capital. Uh, we also have hedge funds that have LPs and they have essentially the you know infrastructure in place to manage large scale volume. We work with um, with a lot of professional traders. Uh, we we aren't a retail platform. We do have some retail users, perhaps, but we're not a retail platform. A lot of our users tend to be very professional. And this, I talked about that word fragmentation before. I think crypto markets are notorious for being highly fragmented. It's a fairly new asset class that leads to that fragmentation. Could you talk a little bit more about what the initial causes of that fragmentation are uh, and the key steps that you guys are focused on to make that user experience better uh, and how SFOX plays a role in making that experience better? Yeah. Um, you know, and then I think, you know, I think this is something that we, uh, you may have seen from our, some of, you know, some of our earlier videos, right? Which is when we started this company, um, there were literally three exchanges in the market and we thought it was fragmented because in equity market, you just go and, you know, buy, you know, buy shares from say NASDAQ. Um, but we thought, hey, three exchanges, it's going to be fragmented. And every investor would say, no, no, there'll be one left and everyone else will die. But the exact opposite has happened in the market, where now you have many more exchanges, I think hundreds just in the US. Um, and you think about these, uh, these exchanges that are out there, um, you just don't know, one, which one has the right price. Second, which exchange actually has liquidity? So even though they show you the price, if you actually try to run the trade, they might give you a price that's worse than what they initially quoted you. So which one has the liquidity to guarantee you that price? And then third, uh, which one is going to actually finish that order for you? Because if there is a crash or if the system drops or exchange, you know, gets, uh, you know, has a technical issue, your money could be sitting there for hours, days, and in some cases, months uh, before you can get that out. So one of the, the key things that we've done is that, hey, given this fragmentation, we spend a lot of effort in identifying kind of where to route your trade and find you the best price. Uh, but not just best price, it's best price execution. That means we have to get that trade done for you at that best price. And, and ultimately, that is where, you know, what, what we've seen has been significant value. Now, this fragmentation, we thought it would just be a U.S. phenomenon, but it's global. There are so many crypto exchanges. I think I saw one just launched yesterday, uh, having raised $100 million. So, you know, this, this is a global phenomenon where there's an exchange in every market. Uh, and every time there's an exchange added, we get happy because it increases the value of our company uh, and the value that we can provide to our customers because we can essentially help you find that best price to get that trade done. The crypto markets have been through a period of turbulence over the last six months or so uh, at a time where sort of the thin nature of a new asset class is, is somewhat you know, uh, laid bare for people to observe. How has SFOX uh, operated within sort of this volatile environment? Uh, and, and how important has, is that sort of unified platform that SFOX provides uh, to your clients during periods of high volatility? I haven't noticed volatility. Yeah, volatility, what? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so look, that's actually the, the um, you know, one, one, of the, one of the key things about crypto is that uh, it is volatile uh, today. And, and so being able to manage that, um, you know, is, is kind of the, the core piece of our offering. Uh, we've gone through multiple crypto winters. This is not our first time. We've been around for eight years. And 
over time, we've actually built many of the, the infrastructure, a lot of the infrastructure that's needed to handle this volatility. So we've not had, you know, knock on wood, any issues. Uh, people can withdraw and deposit money on our platform. Um, and the reason is we are not betting that money and playing with that money. It's your money. You keep it. Uh, and you, you decide how to handle it. And so we, we, know we do not bet on your money. We do not take risk. We are not uh, you know, lending and, and borrowing. So there's a lot of these risky uh, asset, you know, risky actions that were being done in, in the market that we have avoided. Uh, I think the second thing we've done is we also are very much a you know, regulation first, compliance first company. Our, our compliance officer was our, I think a second hire, uh, even before we hired our engineering team, which is for a FinTech company, probably you know, usual, but most technology company, that's not usual. Um, and so we are a compliance first company. And what that means is that we've made sure that we, for example, do not add uh, tokens that you know, our compliance team or risk team is not comfortable with. And at the time, you know, when the, when the markets are doing well, like everyone's questioning your judgment, but in times like these, the fact is our customers are happy because they're able to, you know, deposit and withdraw money and continue to trade. Right. And, and talking about crypto winner, you highlighted what I think is an important point. You know, people are using that term crypto winner, and obviously there have been major drawdowns, especially in sort of lower quality altcoins. But if you're holding the higher quality assets in the space, certainly there's been a, a drawdown, but uh, this crypto winter is fairly mild, if you will. But in your view, what are the main causes of this sort of pullback that we've seen in, in the global market cap of crypto assets? Is it driven you know, largely by the Fed tightening interest rates and, and uh, trading as risk assets today? Crypto assets have just fallen um, you know, out with the bathwater as well? Or do you think sort of these structural issues around three arrows, Celsius, and other idiosyncratic failures have uh, have been the main cause of, of some of the downward pressure that we've seen in crypto markets. Yeah. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, you know, the, the key fundamental unknown in the space is how do you evaluate or value the, the, the coin? And so when you don't know how to value the coin, um, people will take, you know, um, make decisions based on imperfect information. Uh, and that increases the volatility in the space. And that volatility is, I think, what many people are not prepared for. Uh, you know, especially in crypto, when you know you're expecting the price to only increase. Um, the thing is, the decreases are also that rapid in crypto. And one of the things we've done is we've hired people both from the technology side, but also from the traditional finance side. Uh, you know, you look at the equity market; they've gone through the ups and downs too. Uh, FX market goes through this, you know, more frequently than any other market, and so hiring people that have dealt with not just the better times but difficult times, uh, and then ha having them build an infrastructure uh, is very important. Uh, so to answer your question of what you know, I think it caused it uh, is ultimately this unknown of how much you know how much is this coin worth. People don't know, and so that increases volatility, and that I think is what's leading to a lot of these uh, these issues. Um, there are also a lot of risky behavior that that we've seen, uh, as, as you pointed out, uh, by some of the the participants in the in the market. But a lot of that risky behavior, again, is based on uh, this understanding that this coin will, you know, behave or perform in a certain way. Um, and when when that kind of assumption uh, isn't true, um, all the leverage or the risk that that you put on the on the on that trade has to you know, unwind, and that's what we're seeing today.
So you talked earlier about regulation and about how uh, the looking at things from a regulatory first mindset has always been very important for SFOX. You guys became the first crypto firm, I believe, uh, to achieve uh, Wyoming trust status. Why did you go that route? How did you achieve that? Um, and what's your general view on how the U.S. government is going to approach regulation of exchanges or prime brokers in the space like, like SFOX going forward? Yeah. Um, so Wyoming uh, was you know, one of the few states that actually has passed legislation around how to manage a digital asset. Um, one of the, the, the interesting things about that legislation is it actually provides guidance on things like staking, which none of the other states kind of have. So I think, I think you know, Wyoming has been on the forefront of this space. So we're really excited uh, that we're partnering with the, with the state of Wyoming. We're actually, I'm actually going to fly there this week. We're setting up offices there um, and we're going to be making more investments. So, you know, I think we're super excited about working with, you know, with, with uh, Wyoming and, and the, the uh, regulatory bodies there. Um, in terms of our approach, you know, we, we do have, uh, we do work very closely with the regulators, including the, the Wyoming regulators, uh, where we are actually establishing not just the, the, the technology that's needed to manage these coins, but also the, the controls that are needed to, to deal with any kind of uncertainty that might come from managing this technology. And so we do spend a lot of time on understanding the policies and procedures that we have. How do we kind of define those and how do we work with the with both, with different stakeholders to manage the the risk that is kind of in the in the space. Um, in in terms of the other exchanges uh, and regulation kind of from different government bodies, uh, you know, we do think it will this is going to be a uh, I don't want to say it's a moving target, but, but there will be changes along the way. Primarily because this is a brand new technology. I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, you, I, I would kind of be in a difficult position if I was on the, on the policy making side, because this technology has evolved just in the last 10 years from Bitcoin only to smart contracts to, uh, you know, being able to do you know, proof of stake versus, you know, a proof of work. Um, and this evolution will continue in the space. And so how does one come up with rules that allow the technology to flourish, but at the same time manages that risk for the, for the consumer? Uh, and I think both are needed. I think a good risk management policies are needed, but also the technology needs to flourish. So I, I do think the, the regulations will continue to evolve. Uh, I hope it does, because I think that the technology is evolving and I think the regulations will evolve. And we will continue to work with them, both at the federal level and the state level. How would you evaluate current legislation? You know, we've had um, Senator from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, along with Cynthia Lummis, a bipartisan proposal around regulating crypto. Um, you've had a couple other proposals get kicked around. How hopeful are you that the federal government might learn from Wyoming as one example of how to proactively regulate crypto in a way, like you said, that puts the right safeguards in place, but doesn't stifle innovation? Um, I, look, I, I, th I think the, to me, our legislative, le legislative process is a discussion and a dialogue. Uh, and, and I do think that there will be more and more discussions and dialogue uh, at the different government bodies. Uh, you know, one of the beauties of, of this country is that you know, it does take a majority to pass a law. And, and that forces a discussion and a dialogue. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of fully confident that you know, uh, these are initial starting points of 
you know, here's what the proposals are. And I think that proposal will evolve uh, as more and more people kind of learn of, okay, how can we manage this better? Um, I think the, the worst thing would be to turn it off completely because we would you know, all be at a disadvantage. Uh, I think the right thing would be the continuation of technology uh, along with the controls that are needed so that the different stakeholders are protected. I want to look five years into the future, and I want to start with the broader crypto markets. So like we talked about, we're experiencing some volatility now during a period of historic Federal Reserve tightening that has triggered some um, black swan events, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. with failures of ind individual firms. But for the most part, the industry has come together and, and sort of stemmed those leaks, and, and we seem to be back on solid footing. But what do you, in your mind, see five years out for uh, sort of the size and the state of the digital assets industry. Uh, do you think we're in for a period of sort of consolidation and digestion here after a huge multi-year run? Or do you think, um, do you think, like I said, we found solid footing and are getting ready to potentially enter another bull run, you know, in the next couple of years? Um, yeah, look, I, I, I'm a big believer that we're going to have crypto spring right after the, the crypto winter. So uh, that's how it goes, right? It's always spring, right? So, um, so you know, I, I do believe that that uh, that will happen. Um, in terms of kind of why uh, we look and I, we look at our numbers, and our number of businesses that have signed up in both of our quarters is fifty percent more than we had last year at the same time. So, last year being one of the the, the, the fastest growth years for crypto, uh, even this year we're continuing to grow. It's a lot of the institutions are actually just getting started and entering the market, and the the interest level is not so much peripheral like it used to be. Uh, they are actually taking actions in implementing this technology. And we've seen, we've seen all the way from payment institutions to, you know, to hedge funds, to big banks. Uh, everyone's interested in how can we leverage this technology. So you know, in five years, I do think a lot of the financial instruments that we're talking about, some of those will actually go to, um, to blockchain. Uh, I do believe that um, some of the, the bigger countries will actually, you know, some of the countries will actually adopt uh, more digital tokens uh, as part of their day-to-day -day transactions. Uh, I also believe that, uh, you know, a lot of the hedge funds and money managers will look at crypto as an asset class and report on that as an asset class, just like they do today with bonds and, and other asset classes. Right. There was one uh, proposal, I can't remember who put it forward, um, that's going to require hedge funds potentially to more actively disclose their crypto positions. And I think that's going to be a fascinating case uh, if, if that does come to fruition, because, you know, we at Skybridge, we manage multi-billion uh, assets, some of which are in a fund of funds. And so we allocate to managers and we have conversations with hedge funds all across the space. And I think people would be shocked. Obviously, we uh, maintain confidentiality when we speak to these people, but I think people would be shocked to hear about some of the hedge funds that have significant exposure to the space very quietly. I think a lot of people are dipping their toe, you know, learning more about the space and, and the best way to learn is to have skin in the game. But I think um, sort of the widespread nature of toe dipping that's taken place among leading hedge funds would surprise people. So I vote for full disclosure of crypto positions, but I think it would give other people confidence to enter the marketplace. Um, and it doesn't have to be a huge part of your book, but I think when you have more people with skin in the game, I think it, it accelerates the educational process. I don't know if you feel the same way based on business that you guys do at SFOX. 
Um, yeah, no, I, we, we feel the same way. Uh, you know, we, we see we see these institutions and hedge funds coming in, um, and on day one, they they have they don't know what they don't know, and they're trying to learn. Um, you know, it takes them months to kind of figure things out, but once they're in, they you know they they trade just like they trade any other asset class. So you guys have recently gotten deeper into crypto derivatives. Could you talk about that decision? What the landscape? within crypto derivatives markets is, and then talk about potentially regulation that might be on the horizon. You know, for example, with FTX's uh, approach they're taking with the CFTC to try to bring crypto derivatives uh, under the CFTC umbrella. Um, yeah, so I, look, I think crypto derivatives are much needed because uh, a lot of the volatility that, that we talked about would actually be tempered if there was a way for people to take the downside risk or bet just like they can take the upside bet. And so I think it will actually, it's a much needed uh, instrument in this space. The, the regulation around derivatives um, is well known. CFTC has been managing that for quite some time. Um, and, and crypto derivatives, again, you know, should be very similar. Uh, we started with essentially the non-deliverable forwards. And it was a very strategic decision because for a lot of the institutions, they know how to handle and trade NDS today. They don't need to wait uh, for years to actually build infrastructure. They can do that today. And so we said, okay, that's the market, given our institutional focus, that's the market that we entered with. Now that we are in NDS, uh, you know, we want to continue to invest and grow in that market. Um, while at the same time, you know, we will work closely with CFTC on introducing other instruments um, that we can. Um, so yeah, you know, I do think derivatives it's it's going to be a big component of the market. It is in every asset class, and it's going to be with crypto. Uh, but I do think that uh, the regulation there is still fairly early in terms of the approvals that people have received from CFTC is fairly early. Right. Could you talk a little bit about which emerging trends within the Web three ecosystem you're most excited about in terms of accelerating adoption of blockchain technology and crypto assets? That can include. Uh, sort of the Ethereum merge, what impact that's going to have on the ecosystem. Uh, obviously, it's a very polarizing uh, subject. You talk about gaming, you can talk about dollar-backed stable coins. Which, um, you know, which elements of the Web3 ecosystem do you think are, are most likely to emerge as the biggest stories in the space over the next couple of years? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play chicken here and say all of them. Um, because I do, I, like I do believe uh, that each one of those that you mentioned uh, are are phenomenal. Uh, you think about the the impact of the merge uh, and what it's going to do with the with a lot of the kind of ownership and using of Ethereum, uh, and that's something that you know that we can help institutions with is manage that so they don't have to worry about it. It just works for them. Uh, you think about the the growth in stable coins. Um, stable coins are unique in both the technology aspect of it, but also the risk aspect of it. You know there are many different ways to model and manage the stable coins. Um, and also from the regulatory aspect of it, very different than Ethereum. And so that's something that we're excited by, and we offer that to our institutions on how to manage that. We, we work with regulators on that, and we provide technology to manage those stablecoins. Um, I think gaming is another one that you mentioned. I think I'm super excited by the, the positive impact it can have on the number of people that will use it. So I think stablecoins can have a more global reach, but gaming will have more loyal reach. And so more and more people become loyal to crypto because they are, they now have a stake in, you know, uh, in, in a digital right. life. So I do think they're all going to be big. 
uh, they're all going to have their own cycles. Uh, you know, probably one quarter we'll talk about stablecoins, another we'll talk about digital assets, and the third one we'll talk about gaming. But I do think that they're all actually moving forward fairly fast. So your partner, George Malika, who we had on Salt Talks uh, a while back, had some very interesting analogies as he was trying to uh, communicate and relate to people that might still be on the fence about digital assets and blockchain, about how this is really you know, has a through line to assets and collectibles and, and technologies that have been developed over the course of various industries over time. And I think your background is also very interesting in terms of uh, the analogies that you could probably make, given you started your career at NASA, you spent time at stamps.com like George, uh, as well as various other organizations. But you could, could you talk a little bit about how sort of your past starting at NASA, going through the other uh, companies that we mentioned sort of helped crystallize in your mind why blockchain technology and digital assets is a new paradigm that's not going away? Um, so when we were at stamps.com, uh, you know, stamps is actually a legal tender. Uh, you can you can go buy coffee with it. And so because it is a legal tender, um, how does one manage and, and store that technology? Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about that. I, I learned a lot. You know, I did not invent it. I, I was there uh, and I learned a lot. Um, and, and one of the things that was intrig intriguing is that the, the use of cryptography in managing digital assets uh, at that time, stamps.com. Uh, and that's something that today, even to this day, it applies. So when, when I saw the, the blockchain white paper, um, you know, the, the use of essentially, um, you know, trees and, and some of the cryptographic principles, um, you know, it was just a very elegant blend of four or five different technologies that some of which we had used at stamps, uh, but merging it in such a novel way that, you know, I, th I think it, it was kind of an amazing te technical use case. But on, on, the, on the business side, uh, I think a lot of it, uh, you know, the way we, I think about it is the, the email model, right? So when you think about the very first email that you sent and your friend receives it, you're, you look at it and you're like, wow. And that person may not even be in the same room, it was probably you know, across the country, and it, they received it at the exact same time. But you go back about five years before that, or 10 years before that, uh, the very early days, there were talks of FedEx uh, being in the email game. And if you wanted to send something, you would go to FedEx and they would then take that, email it to another FedEx office and print it and someone could walk into the FedEx office and receive it. And that's kind of how we are today in the technology world and even in the crypto. You go to an exchange and then they send it to another exchange and then you receive it. And it sounds crazy when I give you that example of FedEx, right? But that's what we do in crypto today. Um, and if you look at kind of where the email world went, it went to the point where people themselves email each other directly or text message other directly. You do not need a, a third party to do that email for you. Uh, and I think the same is going to apply to a lot of the, the digital asset is that you can actually just, the money that's in your wallet, you can send it to your suppliers, to your, uh, you know, to your friends, uh, whoever you need to send the money to, using the technology that's available to you from the third party, but being able to do that by yourself at your time. Um, I think this becomes very important. When I, when I was at Airbnb, I'll give you an example. This was, a, uh, this was the moment where I'm like, this technology has to change. Um, we had a, a consultant out in Brazil. And this consultant, we wanted to make sure consultant got paid uh, before Christmas holiday. This is like 
December 10, 15 time. And, and, and you know, my C, the CTO, the co-founder at the time came and said, can you make sure it gets paid before Christmas? You know, just, we have to make sure of that. So we initiated the, the wire uh, and, you know, he lived in a, in a, in a small town in Brazil. And, uh, and when we were doing that transaction, uh, and I won't mention the bank, but it's one of the national banks. Uh, we initiated the wire there. Two days later, it's still not there. We called the bank. Oh, it's in the, the Miami office because the California office didn't have the relationship with, uh, with, the, uh, with Brazil. The Miami office had a relationship with Brazil, uh, sent it to another bank, who then finally forwarded it. Uh, I can tell you, unfortunately, the person did not get that money before Christmas. Uh, it was, I think it took us literally eight days to get that money to him. With yeah, that, obviously, you know, sort of global regulation around crypto. We talked about US regulation, but sort of sinking global regulation is going to be important. Tornado Cash has been in the news due to uh, US sanctions on what is essentially open source code that could be replicated under various entities, uh, which I don't know that the US government fully understands that. Uh, but how do we handle issues like KYC, AML, you know, anti-terrorist financing, all these stuff that people bring up as potential use cases for crypto? How do we both create this decentralized, permissionless system, which, as you talk about, uh, accrues more value to the individual, it, it disintermediates the financial system and, and reduces costs? But how do we do that in a way that doesn't allow for sort of the negative side effects that I mentioned before? Um, I think the way you do that is actually to get more people to use it, the digital asset because it's a lot easier to manage, you know, <laughs> KYC, AML, and, and these checks electronically than it is with, uh, you know, with the traditional mechanisms. Uh, today, every exchange, including ours, uh, has a robust program uh, for KYC, AML. We, you know, we go through independent audits. Um, we work with various regulatory bodies and, and different government agents uh, in you know in kind of managing our obligation for financial disclosures. So and so we do a lot uh, by bring a lot of transparency. But I can imagine that if someone were to walk in uh, to a store with the cash, that you know, that transparency isn't there. So if the more people that use digital asset, I think it actually makes it easier to to manage the, the flow of the funds. To make sure that the money is not being used for you know for um, illicit activities, um, and actually making sure that uh, you know the people can actually do that at scale, uh, as opposed to having to do it you know one off. Yeah, it's a great point, and it's one that Michael Morell, the former CIA director, made in a report that he did about the same topic. When you digitize money, you know countries like India and others around the world have tried to root physical cash out of their economy because of you know the ability for tax avoidance or nefarious purposes you know drug cartels certainly have operated with US dollars uh, and and we haven't banned those yet so i think it's a great point if you talk to people like chainalysis and others that specialize in sort of digital forensics around blockchain and digital currencies they would echo your point that the more we digitize the global economy the more you're going to be able to spot um, illicit activity and i think it's a point that's lost on a lot of regulators mm -hmm. as sort of entrenched special interests uh, try to maintain the status quo, which is the toll-taking centralized financial system that we currently have. Uh, but Akbar, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We look forward to seeing you in person uh, in September at Salt, New York. It's been a pleasure again to partner with SFOX, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. John, thank you so much for your time as well.
And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's episode of The Salt Crypto Show, sponsored by FTX. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this episode or any of our previous episodes, they're all available on demand on our website at salt.org backslash talks, on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube, or on anywhere that you consume podcasts, you can listen to this in audio-only form. A reminder, we're on social media. Twitter is where we're most active, at Salt Conference. We're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these Salt Talks. We love educating people about uh, amazing companies that are building uh, within the digital asset Web3 ecosystem like SFOX. And so please share this uh, with someone who's interested in learning more about the space. But on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.